Welcome to the Open Book Test Podcast. I'm Allison Levy, and for 11 years, I advised the bright, ambitious students in Notre Dame's Mendoza College of Business. And now I've invited some of my favorite alums to share their stories with you. We talk about the key factors and the decisions they made to pursue a business degree, pick a specific major, and start down a certain career path. On an open book test, it's all about the resources you bring to the table, and these young professionals, representing all six of the majors Mendoza offers, are the best resources I know. They're an open book about what worked for them and where they might like a do-over. Let them help you feel more confident about the decisions you'll be making about your future and discover resources you didn't even know to ask for. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by Fire Stationery. Travel in 2020 wasn't really a thing, but you can send a piece of your favorite city when you purchase note cards from Fire Stationery. Each color is named for a city that sisters, Laura and Kristen, visited together and holds a special place in their heart. How fun is that? Do you have family or friends in, say, San Francisco, Nashville, or Naples? Send a card in that city's color for a special touch. Or maybe a sibling or friend is moving to a new city for college or a new job. What a personal way to say congrats and stay in touch. Check out all their offerings at firestationary.com. And here's a friendly reminder that in this case, stationary ends in E-R-Y. It's linked in the show notes if spelling just isn't your thing. Welcome back to the Open Book Test Podcast. The new year starts on Friday, so let me be the first to wish you a happy new year. And the end of the year is often a time when we think about taking stock of where we are in our lives and what we want to continue and what we maybe would like to do differently going forward. And it's also a great time to think about what we're grateful for. And this year in particular, I could not be more grateful to have reconnected with the bright, funny, generous alums who so graciously accepted my invitation to be the first guests on this new podcast. And while I wish you could talk to them directly, I do think that listening in is the next best thing. I'm certainly learning a lot from them, and I hope you are too. And in general, I'm just learning a lot. Like this this podcast was me following my own advice and getting out of my own comfort zone and out of my own way to do something that I wholeheartedly believe in the value of, but also doing something that I'd never done before. And I have to say that doing it all on my own is humbling. (laughs) The learning curve is steep in terms of planning it all out, doing the technical editing, and then marketing these podcasts. But if there are some inelegant cuts and some poorly phrased questions along the way, I'm still very proud of the content that I'm producing and 100% sure of its value. And I have to say, I'm having so much fun. We constantly underestimate and undervalue the importance of fun in our lives. And sure, there's plenty of frustration and moments where I'm very critical of my efforts. For instance, this is take five or six of this particular episode because I'm running into some odd recording issues that I have not had in the previous episodes. So a little bit of troubleshooting going on this morning as I try and figure out what button I didn't push or did push, etc. But mostly I'm just loving the conversations that I'm having and enjoying the process, even when it's hard. So this is the first bonus episode, which I'm calling the Highlighter Editions. There'll be one a month, and normally it will post on Fridays after the last episode of each month. But since we had five weeks in December, and it's the week between Christmas and New Year's, I decided to give this first one a week of its own. And this is just a chance for me to pull out a couple of the themes that emerged in that month's particular conversations and offer up a little more insight and perspective and typically a couple more resources. And as I said at the end of Taylor's episode, when we use a highlighter, 
highlighter, we're sort of cueing our brain that, oh, this is important and I should probably learn that. So this is me just drawing a bright yellow line over a couple of the key concepts that bubbled up during my conversations with Heather and Dylan and Luke and Taylor this month. But they also touched on at least dozens of other topics. So make sure you don't use this as a substitute for listening to their whole episodes, because trust me, there is a lot more content there than what I'm going to try and touch on in today's quick recap. But all of my guests this month, and it's a theme that has continued to bubble up as I've recorded episodes for next month, have talked about changing their minds and following different paths than they originally intended. And that's really no surprise that, oh, what they decided at 17 didn't end up being the be-all and end-all. But as a society, we put a lot of pressure on high school students to define their futures and have a plan and spell it all out on their college applications. And that does a few things that I'm not really such a fan of. One, it creates a lot of anxiety. Having to have your whole future laid out in a nice, neat, orderly package uh, creates a lot of stress because who, who thinks they have all the answers at 17 when they're still in high school? And two, that often causes us to make decisions based on insufficient information or maybe an over-reliance on the opinions of others. Luke talked about being a math guy, and math guys go into STEM. Perfectly logical progression, lots of good reasons to go into STEM, but it didn't end up being a good fit for him And my third point is that sometimes having made a decision, it shuts down the exploration, which means we miss opportunities. So for instance, in Luke's case, once he settled on engineering, he wasn't really looking around to figure out, oh, there's also business analytics or what else did he mention? Actuarial science. That came later as he he got a little dissatisfied with engineering, but he might've been able to shortcut that journey if he had spent a little more time up front looking into all the different things that he might have done. And it's not a perfect science of figuring it out and you're never going to know everything and we don't wanna wait until we know everything because that creates decision paralysis. So there's a happy medium in there somewhere, but I guess it goes back to what I was saying in one of the episodes about just not locking in too early on your decision or at least not having blinders on so that you're always kind of looking around and taking in uh, what else is going on around you. Because we like to have a plan, and there's nothing wrong with that. Plans are certain, right? And we don't like uncertainty because uncertainty is uncomfortable. But as Dylan told us, that discomfort is where the juicy bits are. It's where we learn about ourselves and we decide what fits us. So another thing all four of my guests recommended was using all the abundant resources on campus. And they all specifically mentioned advising. And I don't think they did so just because they were sucking up to me. (laughs) They're, They're long out of college. There's no reason for them to stay on my good side. But they mentioned it because for them, it was a place that helped them work through their stuff right? They were reevaluating, taking stock, figuring out, taking in new information and trying to figure out how that applied to them. They were growing and changing. And sometimes it just really, really helps to have a sounding board. And that's what they used advising for. And it seems to have worked out pretty well for all of them. But I will say that in my tenure in the advising office, we saw our number of visits drop year over year. And ironically, I was probably responsible for some of that since I made a big push for us to automate a lot of the transactional reasons for students to visit so that we would have more time for longer, more meaningful conversations. So a lot of the things like picking up a PIN number so that you could register or declaring a class pass fail or asking for an overload, those 
became things that could be done online. So that had the desired effect and that it freed up time. But if students don't come, <laughs> then that, that becomes the problem. And the only students we required to come in were those on academic probation. But we certainly encouraged every student to come in at least once a semester, or at the very least, once a year. And plenty did, but certainly lots and lots did not. And towards the end of my time there, I was starting to hear a lot of things like, oh, you really only go to advising if you're in trouble or if you're having a specific problem. And if this podcast succeeds at nothing else, I hope I can convince you that nothing is further from the truth. Turns out you only get to go through college once and no one expects you to know everything, but we do expect you to use the resources available. And if you use them, that one time through college will be plenty because you will have taken full advantage of everything available to you. And what we used at Notre Dame to communicate is typical of most colleges. We had a very robust website, we had a weekly newsletter, we did student-specific outreach via email, we conducted workshops and meetings every semester. But the beauty of an individual appointment with an advisor is just that. It's individual. It is specific to you. So the advisor takes all that general knowledge that they know like the back of their hand but may feel confusing to you or may not have felt applicable when you first saw it, and they apply it specifically to your situation, right? So everything you're talking about is relevant and pointed in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. Now, we used something we call the plan of study. It laid out all your requirements over eight semesters, and students were meant to keep them updated after they registered and used them as a guide. But one of the best meetings you could have would be to go over that plan before registration. And by doing so, that alleviated a lot of missteps, such as not planning for a key course in a sequence or getting a schedule together that was really out of balance in terms of quantitative courses or workload. Um, we, we would have students come in at midterm all the time who were really stressed because they were just overwhelmed by their courses. And we were like, oh my goodness, why on God's green earth would you have put these five classes in the same semester? And they'd be, oh, I was just trying to get all the requirements out of the way before I moved into electives and things like that. And we would always say, look, we would never have recommended that. And then we would sort out the rest of their semesters to try and give them a little more balance. One of my favorite stories was a student who came in and she was a finance and econ major, I think. And she thought she was going to have to take semesters that were 18 and 21 credits. And she was near tears when she came in and she just was, I don't think I could do this. And I spent three, maybe five minutes revising her plan of study to show her where she had misunderstood. There was a lot of overlap between finance and econ, so there were some classes that we could take off her plan altogether. And in the end, she had a very manageable load, and she just looked at me and she's like, oh, I just feel like I can breathe again. And my only response to that was, oh my goodness, how long have you been feeling this way? And next time, like, come see us or shoot me an email as soon as you start feeling stressed about it, because there's almost always an option or an answer that you haven't considered, and we can make things better. So there's a ton of value add in talking to the professionals and the people who do this every day, because what looks complicated to you or overwhelming, I'm sure we've seen it before. And in 99.9% .9 of cases, we have offered students another way or another option that has lightened their load, or at least eased their mind about what is going on. But the key factor is that you often have to initiate that, right? We put a ton of information out. We will reach out to you if we think you're in danger 
You know, if we get if something gets flagged to us that you're failing a class, but we're not going to reach out to you every other day just to say, hey, how you doing? But you can reach into us and say, hey, just want to check in and make sure I'm on the right track. And that is your responsibility. Uh, I'm looking at my notes and I know I got called out by a dad who didn't think that needed to be his daughter's responsibility given all the money he was paying. But the reality is, you know, our our student loads were about 400 students per advisor and there's only so many hours in the day to check and double check and actually like do your job. So there was no way we were going to have that kind of real-time access to student decisions and make sure that at every juncture you were doing the right thing. So some of that has to come from you. So I know you're busy. I know you feel like you don't have time for things, but making time for one 15 to 30-minute appointment during the course of a semester, I really don't think is too much to ask, and it's going to alleviate a lot of your stress in the long run. And let's be clear, even if you don't come into the advising office, some part of your brain is worrying about things, about whether you're doing it right, about whether you're on track, about whether you're reading the information appropriately. And our brains only have so much bandwidth. So those little worries build up over time, and often lead to behaviors that don't really serve us. We saw that a lot with students who maybe didn't do well on an exam, but wouldn't go talk to the professor, and then they were embarrassed, and then they wouldn't go to class, and then, of course, they did even worse on the next exam, and then they maybe needed to drop, and sometimes that had some fairly dramatic consequences on their future course loads. So the key thing to remember is that as no one's judging, really. (laughs) They just, they mostly want to help, and you don't have to defend what happened on that first test. You don't have to have a great reason for why you didn't do well. You just need to be able to say, I didn't do well, and I'd really like to do better. And I'm here asking for your help. And professors are all over that and can help you study for the exams and teach you concepts that just really, that you missed in class. If you're making an effort, they will absolutely match you and make an effort as well. So Dylan mentioned feeling very depressed his senior year because he was trying to make that big decision about whether he was going to move to Australia or not. And and I have to say, I do recall talking to him about the decision in my office, but I don't recall talking about the depression. And on the one hand, there was no reason for him to tell me. I am not a trained medical professional by any means. But on the other hand, I was someone he knew cared about him. I was someone who would have listened. I was someone who might have suggested a next step that would have helped him along that journey or just given him a place to vent. I mean, depression and anxiety are very real, and college life exacerbates most mental health issues. You're away from home. You're dealing with a lot of new things. And and there's competition and comparison and all kinds of things that feed into those anxieties. But on the upside, there are lots of resources on campus, and I cannot recommend enough that you use them, right? At ND, we had psychiatrists and psychologists at St. Liam's, um, the health center. And I know it could sometimes be difficult to get an appointment, especially if it was around finals or another time when lots of people were feeling stress. But you can start with your rector. You can start with your RA in your section. You can start with your academic advisor. At Notre Dame, we had priests and residents in all the halls. We also had campus ministry. All these people are there to help, and they could also often facilitate a speedier appointment with a professional if that's what was warranted. But in some cases, that conversation with your rector, with your RA, with me, would have been all you really needed. Because students who are anxious 
don't always have a diagnosis for an anxiety disorder, right? Sometimes it's situation specific and it could be that you're just stressed. You're facing something new and you're not coping well with it. You just need an ear, um, someone to listen to you, someone to give you a little bit of a different perspective and help you come up with a plan. And if that's the situation, there are so many people that can help. And I know students don't want to burden their friends or they don't want to admit to their friends that they're struggling. But again, I've named a number of other people you can start with, and I'm sure there are plenty of others. I don't think I mentioned professors. If you've got a relationship with a professor, they're also someone who has talked to lots of students and been a student themselves, and they can help. You know, I met with hundreds of students that were on academic probation over the years. And and let's be clear, all of them were very capable of succeeding academically. They had all gotten into Notre Dame. They were all very bright. And it was almost always that something else was getting in their way. Maybe something was going on at home. Maybe there was a relationship issue on campus that was causing them some stress. They might have had a substance abuse issue. Uh, Or maybe it was as simple as a major that wasn't a good fit, right? If you're hating your classes and not enjoying them, it's really hard to get up in the morning and go to class. So sometimes it was sort of a simple fix in that respect that we could find something else for them to do. Um, But these are all hard things and things that need to be faced and addressed if anything's going to get better, right? The more you just push it down and hide, the harder everything is because it all starts to snowball. So my advice is pick someone to confide in. Don't feel like you have to carry it all alone. My standing line at Notre Dame was that it was a very hard place to struggle because no one else looks like they are, right? Everyone has this image that they are on top of their game and doing all these amazing things, and it's all just happening so (laughs) easily. So if you're not feeling that, first, it's very humbling, and then typically it's also very isolating because you don't want to share that you are not in that place. But I could talk for days about the hundreds of different struggle stories I heard from students who gave every impression of being happy and successful in all things. Here's just another pro tip or PSA, I guess, that sometimes the anxiety comes from just a lack of self-care, which is also easy to fall into on a college campus. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not eating healthfully. You're not getting exercise or spending time with people who raise your spirits. And some of those things... It's are a function of just being on your own for the first time, right? When you're living at home, mom and dad are saying, go to bed, dinner's on the table. You Maybe you have exercise because you're involved in a varsity sport, and that's not a thing for you in college. So some of that is that it, it used to be baked into your structure, and now you have to figure out how to make time for it. And trust me, you have time. I know we all think we're crazy busy And especially in college, Um, but I have alums tell me all the time that they didn't realize just how much time they had when they were in college now that they're out working 40 to 80 hours a week, depending on the job, and having to do their own shopping and their own cooking and meet up with friends on the weekends because they no longer live in their dorms, et cetera, et cetera. So you have time. You just have to figure out how to use it wisely. And if you do the small things well and build in some little routines I find that the big things will fall into place. But back to those students who were on probation, one of the things I always made them do was give me three to five things that behavioral changes they were going to make. Because the students who said things to me like, well, I'm going to do better this semester, that's way too vague and nothing really changes. So I would ask them to define 
a couple strategic changes that might improve their situation. So if they normally studied in their room, maybe now they would say, I'm going to the library. They would find an accountability partner on campus, and sometimes that would be me. Sometimes it would be a friend that they would go study with. Maybe they'd build in a little more exercise because they just felt that that really cleared their head. But any, in any event, three to five things that were very specific, um, and that usually made a world of difference. And one of those things <laughs> was, of course, a biweekly meeting with their advisor. And again, I'm not saying anybody has to come in biweekly, but if those students could manage that one 15 to 30-minute appointment each semester can save you hours of time and lots of worry. So 100% recommend adding that to your to-do list. And since I always like to recommend one more resource, because I know you don't have enough to do, I do want to mention a book that was originally recommended to me by the Career Center, which is called You Majored in What? And it's written by Katherine Brooks. And I have to say, I was really surprised when I went to link it that it was originally published in 1969, because I think it's still incredibly relevant. It's a quick read. It includes some great exercises to help you connect the dots between what you're drawn to naturally and then what you can do with those interests and skills. I'm especially a fan of the mind maps, which helps you connect lots of disparate dots to figure out you know, what you are, you are gravitating to, what you're naturally curious about. So I would highly recommend you take some time maybe over the summer to dig deep or you know, if you still have a little time before school starts, you could do it now. Um, to really learn a little bit more about yourself and then use that to inform the decisions that you make next. So I mentioned that we're starting a new year on Friday. And so, of course, many people will be making New Year's resolutions. I'm not really such a fan of those because I'm, <laughs> frankly, not very reliable at following through. But I have the last couple of years made a list of more or less and just listing some things that I want more of in my life and things that I want less of in my life. So more might be more time with family, more time outside, in, the, in nature, and less is usually something around the less sugar, <laughs> less stress, those kinds of things. But one thing I would definitely like more of in 2021 is for more people to find this little podcast. I think there's so much good information coming out, and the conversations are interesting and, and unbelievably helpful. So one of the ways we can get more listeners, apparently, is if we have more reviews. And if you're willing, I would greatly appreciate it if you could go to Apple or Spotify and add a few stars and just a sentence or two about what you are enjoying about the podcast and then also recommend it to your friends. Um, I think there's something here for everyone and the more people that listen, the more people that can benefit. So thanks so much for listening. I'll be back again next week with a fun new guest. And until then, enjoy celebrating the new year. And uh, we'll talk soon.